Thank you. Thank you for those kind words, Brian. I, I do appreciate it. And I will say that uh, for my part, there are many ways in which I realized that Brian was right, and uh, his wisdom has, uh, has borne out the fruit of many years. And so I am grateful for our continued friendship and partnership. Living Hope, it is good to be with you again. I uh, just want to say it's wonderful to see every person who uh, was here when I was here. And I'll tell you, whenever I see a new face, um, it is a joy for me because it is a testimony to the fact that God is still moving here at Living Hope. And are you guys glad about that? Yes. So, uh, Brian, Brian has kind of hesitated to share it, but I am currently a pastor between churches, and, uh, you know, through, through the experiences of last year, it's been a challenging year, um, but I do want to testify that God has been good. He has been faithful. He has been all the things that we say that He is um, in this season for me. So, I'm a pastor between churches, um, and Brian invited me to come, and uh, of course, I, would, I, I cherish this joy of being back with you. All right, so to start things out, I need you to pull out your wallet and see if you have a dollar bill. Um, everybody do that. See if you got a dollar bill in there. Um, see if you got a single dollar bill. That's what I need. So what I want to do is I'm going to offer you a wager, and I've got a, got a coin here, and I'm going to flip this coin, and if it is heads, then I will give you a dollar twenty-five. If it is tails, you have to give me your dollar, okay? So you don't have to take this if you don't want, uh, want to, but uh, you know, what, what's your name? Lori. Um, so, Lori, you can pass if you'd like, or you can, or you can uh, go with the wager. W would you like to take that wager? Yes, I'll take She will. All right. So, um, this is just a normal coin. It's got two tails. And, uh, <laughs> and, so, and what I'm going to do is I'm just going to flip it in the air, and, uh, and, and, and you do have to give me your dollar if, you, if it's uh, tails, all right? So, uh, all right, let's go. It is tails. You need to give me your dollar. All right. Thank you. Um, do you have any other dollars? Would you, would you like to pass or would you like to do it again? <laughs> she would like to pass. All right. Um, I'm gonna, what's your name? Bruce. Bruce, would you, would you like to, to, to play our little game here or would you like to pass? He's going to pass. All right. After he saw what happened to Lori. Um, all right, Rob. Uh, would you like to pass or play? He's going to play. All right. So heads, heads I win, tails you lose. All right. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Heads, heads you get the dollar twenty-five. Yeah. All right. Oh, you get the dollar twenty-five. Here you go. Would you like to? Would you like to do it again? All right. He's going to go again. All right. All right. And it's a tails. You're going to have to give me a dollar. You want? You want to pass or play? All right. All right. So uh, here's your dollar back, Lori. In fact, you can get all this money because I don't want to hold on to it during the service. Thanks for playing our game. All right. Give, her, give Lori a hand. Give Rob a hand for being a good sport. So a bunch of researchers did that exercise with people, and they offered them, you know, $1.25 on the coin flip. And you know what they found? The vast majority of people who they offered this to would decline. Now, mathematically speaking, you should take that, that wager, because if you were to do it over and over again over the course of many, many coin flips, you would come out on top, uh, because you're gaining on, on the coin flip. But most people did not want the, uh, the small gain in exchange for the risk of the loss. They call this the uncertainty effect. When we run into uncertainty in life, 
we avoid it. We don't want, it, we, we don't want um, to experience or to enter into uncertain situations, the uncertainty effect. They did another study. They said, they went out and surveyed people, and they said, how much would you pay for a $100 Barnes & Noble gift card? And they said, how much would you pay for a $100 Barnes & Noble gift card? How much would you pay for a $50 Barnes & Noble gift card? Like, how much cash would you pay in exchange for a gift card? And how much would you pay for a, $50, for a lottery where you either get a $50 Barnes & Noble gift card or a $100 Barnes & Noble gift card? You're going to get something, but you're going to get either 50 or 100 Here's what they found. For a $100 uh, gift card, on average, people were willing to pay $45. That makes sense, right? You know, it's a gift card. Um, for a $50 Barnes & Noble gift card, people were willing to pay $26. And then for a lottery where you either get a $50 gift card or a $100 gift card, you're going to get one of those, this is how much they were willing to pay on average, $16. Do you see what's wrong here with this picture? And they checked, they made sure you're going to get 50 or 100 either way. No, no, it's worth 16 On average, that's what they paid. They, they valued that lottery less because of the uncertainty of not knowing what they were going to get. They call this the uncertainty effect, and you know how this works in life. We, are, we see an uncertain situation in our future, and we want to avoid it. We want to, it's fear of the unknown. The problem with this dynamic in our lives is that there's a lot of uncertainty in life. And there's a lot of uncertainty in our world right now, isn't there? Well, as you go through life, if you're like me, you find that there's uncertainty everywhere, and especially when it comes to the future. And what's so important about this dynamic of uncertainty is that some of the most important paths that we take in life are going to involve some measure of uncertainty. Jesus is going to lead us into uncertain situations. He often does that. Sometimes He is leading us to go do something that we have never done before. He's maybe leading, maybe he's leading us to go and, and have an argument that does not involve yelling. Well, we've never done that before. We don't know what that's like. Does that even work? Do people, like, take each other seriously? Maybe He's leading us to go and cut our spending. Well, I've never done that before. What's my quality of life going to look like if I cut my spending? It's uncertain. Maybe He's leading us to go and, and, and get, go deeper into fellowship and community and maybe go to a small group, go to that what's on, what, are, what on earth am I here for class. We've never been to a small group before. There's uncertainty. Maybe He's leading us to go be a mentor at the Hope House and, uh, and to mentor a young, young foster kid, but, but I've never done that before. There's uncertainty. There are so many scenarios in life. Maybe it's being, going to a counselor. Maybe it's setting boundaries in our relationships. Maybe it's working a different job. We've never done that before, and so we are afraid and we hesitate to go into it. Some of the most important decisions we make in life are going to be scenarios where there is a large amount of uncertainty. And so today we're going to talk about how to go through uncertainty into the good plan that God has for our lives. We're going to be in Joshua chapter 3. If you've got a Bible, you can feel free to open it up there. We're also going to have the verses on the screen. Joshua chapter 3, it's near the beginning of your Bible. And uh, we've got a map here. Let's go turn to our map. 
And uh, this is where we're at in Joshua 3. The, the Israelites have just been rescued out of the land of Egypt. They were slaves there. God has led them on a long journey through the wilderness. And, they, and God has said, I'm going to take you and to the promised land. I'm going to give you this wonderful land. It's where all the luxury goods are. It's wonderful, fertile land. They can plant their vineyards, and it's going to be great there. They know this. And here in that green dot with the black circle is the Israelite camp. They are on the cusp of the promised land. God has just given them, by His favor, this portion of land that's kind of yellow, and, uh, he, but He's telling them, your next step is to cross the Jordan River. The Jordan River is the dividing line between the yellow and the green. You're going to cross over the Jordan River, and you are going to take over the city of Jericho. Now, in this situation, the Israelites have a leader. Their leader is Joshua. And as Joshua looks out on the horizon of his future, he sees that there's a lot of uncertainty. The first thing that is uncertain is the Jordan River. You see, the Jordan River would be tough to cross in normal circumstances. It's anywhere from three feet deep to ten feet deep, and, and usually about a hundred uh, feet wide. He, Joshua has two million people with uh, camels and cattle and children and the elderly, and, and to get two million people across a body of water like that, that is not going to be an easy feat. They would not be easy under normal circumstances, but it's even more uncertain because the Jordan River is at flood stage. And what we know about the Jordan River is that when it's at flood stage, it's somewhere along, uh, about in the approximation of 15 feet deep and a quarter mile wide. How are they going to get across? They can't raft across. If they raft across, the people on the other side who know that they're coming are going to attack them before they get everybody across. They can't wade through 15 feet water. It is uncertain. The other piece of uncertainty they're running into is, that the, is Jericho. Jericho, they, everybody knows about Jericho because Jericho has a uh, cutting-edge wall around their city. Uh, archaeologists have dug in the vicinity of Jericho from that time period, and guess what they found? They found the remains of a wall, and they estimate that the wall was 15 feet tall and 5 feet thick, dating to that time period. And so the Israelites are, are not sure if we go, maybe we get across the Jordan, but how are we going to take Jericho with its huge wall? There's uncertainty. And so what we, what we see here with Joshua and the Israelites is our first principle for handling uncertainty. When we are facing uncertainty, we need to keep walking in the right direction. Would you say this with me? Keep walking in the right direction. So they... they start walking, Joshua says, we're going to cross the river because God said to. Um, <laughs> I'm not sure how we're going to do that, but it's a few more miles to the river, so let's just, let's just walk there. So they start walking. Take a look at this slide. After three days, the officers went throughout the camp giving orders to the people. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the... Oh, let's go back. Uh, when you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the Levitical priests carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. So the Ark of the Covenant, which represents God's presence among the people, is going to go first. Then you will know which way to go, since you have never been this way before. But keep a distance of about 2,000 cubits between you and the Ark. Do not go near it. So that's a, about a half a mile. Just, but they're going to be following the presence of God. In our lives, when we are getting closer to uncertainty, when we are seeing a problem in the distance, it is very, it, the uncertainty principle tells us that we are most not likely going to avoid it. Sometimes we freeze up and we want to do nothing. 
Sometimes we sit and worry about that problem in the future that we don't know what we're going to do about. And the principle of of what we see Joshua doing is he doesn't know what he's going to do about the river or the walls of Jericho, but what does he do? He keeps walking in the right direction. Keeps walking in the right direction. You know, God may be leading you to share how you're hurt in a relationship without yelling. Well, you've never been that way before. There's uncertainty. What's going to happen? Will they take me seriously? But you know what the right thing is to do. Keep walking in the right direction. God is leading you to say sorry to someone you've hurt. You're not sure if they're going to forgive you. They're not, you're not sure if they're going to be mean to you or if they're going to ignore you. You've never been that way before. There's uncertainty. Keep walking in the right direction. And the truth of most of our uncertain situations is, yeah, there's a lot of uncertainty. But most of the time, we generally know the right direction to go. And if you know the right direction, what should you do? Keep walking in the right direction. So uh, Joshua sees this mountain of a problem up ahead, and part of what's difficult about heading towards a mountain of a problem is that they're scary. It's scary to walk towards a huge mountain of a problem not knowing what you're going to do when you get there. And that's why we need this next principle. We need to expect God to move mountains. Would you say this with me? Expect God to move mountains. You see, he had a problem. How do you get two million people across the Jordan River at flood stage? Everybody in Israel said, hey, we got a piece of land now. We've always wanted some land. Why don't we just wait till it goes down to, you know, three feet or something? Then maybe we'll wait across. It'll be easier. It made sense to do that. But Joshua, but God, well, here's the thing. God said, you need to go, and you need to go now at flood stage. And so Joshua is expecting that God will move the mountain of a problem. Take a look at what it says in verse 5. It says, Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. He doesn't know what God's going to do yet. He just believes that God's going to move the mountain. Take a look what happens next. Joshua said to to the priests, take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on ahead of the people. So they took it up and went on ahead of them. Do we got another slide there? Yeah. And the Lord said to Joshua, today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all Israel, so that they may know that I am with you as I was with Moses. Tell the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant, when you reach the edge of the Jordan's waters, go and stand in the river. And when Joshua heard God say that, he saw what God was about to do. You see, there's only one good way to get two million people through a large body of water. He's seen it before. God is going to part the waters. So he sees God's plan. And this here, he's expecting the miracle, and and he sees what God's going to do. This is a very powerful principle for us. You see, when we are walking on God's path for our lives, we're following him to the best of our ability, doing what he says, and we run up against a mountain in the middle of our path. We should expect that God's going to take care of that mountain. All we have to do is ask and wait for Him to do it. And God will move mountains. He moves mountains all the time. He moved a mountain for, for that hope ministry, didn't He? He moved a mountain. He used you guys to move that mountain. God moves mountains all the time. Now, if we are not seeing God move mountains in our lives, it may be because we are on the wrong path. 
Because sometimes, you see, the, the Bible teaches us that there's a relationship between having faith and seeing God move mountains. Sometimes we do not have enough faith, and so we do not do what God has asked us to do. We don't trust Him to kind of lead our lives. We, we, we trust our own direction with our lives, so we kind of go our own path rather than His path, and we find ourselves on the wrong path. And so God's not going to move the mountains on that path. He's going to move the mountains when we're following Him. This, this connection between faith and seeing God move mountains, Jesus talks about this. One time he's walking along with his disciples, and, uh, and, he's, and they see a, a fig tree. And Jesus comes up to the fig tree. He needs, he's really hungry, and the fig tree has no fruit on it. It's time for them, it to have fruit on it, but it has no fruit. And so he curses the fig tree. Well, the next day they come back around, and the disciples see that the fig tree has withered. And they say, Jesus, look at the fig tree. It's withered after you cursed it. And Jesus says this. Next one. Or actually, I think, yeah, there we go. Have faith in God. There we go. <laughs> Have faith in God, Jesus answered. Truly I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea, and does not doubt in their heart, but believes that what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Now, this passage has been misused in many ways, but here is the principle, and Jesus shows us what it is. Here's the principle, how we apply this. Therefore, I tell you, he says, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. And elsewhere, Jesus says, all it takes is faith the size of a mustard seed in order to move a mountain. The principle is that when we believe in, in, in Jesus and, and following His way, we will obey Him We'll be on the right path, and when we ask for God to move the mountains, we will see mountains move. And sometimes we have to wait a little bit. We have to wait for God to move the mountains. Sometimes God says, all right, this mountain ain't that big. You climb over the mountain. Um, but God will take care of the mountain. He will take care of it. All right, so some t you may be looking at your life, and you maybe see that, you know what? I have this struggle with this bad habit, and God is leading me to kind of work on it. But all the other times that I've worked on this bad habit, I have failed, and, and I, don't th I don't think I can do it. Do you believe that God can give you the self-control you need to overcome that bad habit this time? He absolutely can, because there's a promise in the Scripture about it. Here's first, or Second Peter. God's divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. That is a promise of the Scriptures. That God's power has given us, He gives us everything we need to, to conquer the broken areas of our lives. He can help you overcome that bad habit. All right, so here's what happens next. So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priest carrying the Ark of the Covenant went on ahead of them. Now the Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest. Yet as soon as the priests who carried the ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap in a, a great distance away in a town called Adam in the vicinity of, of Zarethan, while the water flowing down to the Sea of the Arabah, that's, that is the Dead Sea, was completely cut off, so the people crossed over opposite Jericho. Wow. Wow. Can you imagine? Flood stage. Forty years ago, Joshua had watched as Moses did the unthinkable. He parted the Red Sea with a stick. And now, by the power of God and the instructions of God, Joshua had done the exact same thing. 
And when he saw those waters part, he knew in that moment God had moved the mountain. And not only had God moved this mountain, this meant that the living God was with them and he would move all the other mountains in their future because this was the living God, a miracle-working God. And so there's principles here. He believed, he expected that God would move the mountain. And when God does move a mountain for us, we need to remember that. And that's why we need this, this third principle. It says, let's have that third principle. Oh, memorial, memorialize. Yeah, there we go. Memorialize what God has done. Would you say this one with me? Memorialize what God has done. We need memorials to help us remember what God has done because, you see, we, we, we forget. You, you, ever, you ever experienced God's rescue in, a, in an area of your life? He rescued you out of something terrible. You cried out to Him. You asked for His help, and He did for you what you longed for. And in that moment when you saw His rescue, you knew in your heart forever that you were going to believe in this God, that you were going to trust Him, you were going to do everything He says because obviously He's so totally trustworthy. And in that moment, you remember that feeling? We forget that feeling. We forget it. And that's why we need a memorial to remind us. And so God helped them uh, create a memorial. Nations need memorials. Let's take a look at this next verse. When the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, choose 12 men from among the people, one from each tribe, tell them to take up the 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan from right where the priests are standing and carry them over with you and put them down to the place where you stay tonight. So Joshua called together all the 12 men he had appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe, and said to them, go over before the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take a stone on his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of Israelites to serve as a sign among you. In the future, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. We need those memorials to remind us of what God has done in the past so these, these, these incredible acts do not die off with the previous generation. Have you memorialized God's work in your life? Have you memorialized, memorialized it, made a memorial out of it in some way? I'm not very good at this, but uh, one birthday, Katie bought me a, um, my wife Katie, she bought me a picture uh, uh, an artist had drawn. It was the woman who had an illness for 20 years and, uh, and then she touched the fringe of Jesus' clo- his, his cloak, and she was instantly healed. And it's got her there, kind of curled up in a ball, and feet all around her, because she was kind of huddled below the masses. And I love this picture, because it's a gift from my wife, and I love my wife. And, and, but I also, as I was looking at it, and she gave it to me, I felt God speaking to my spirit and telling me that this is going to be a memorial. Because down at the bottom of the picture, it says, it has a Bible verse. It says, she had spent all she had and was not helped at all. And it reminded me of a time in my life when I had spent all the effort I had, but had not been helped at all. It was my sophomore year of college, and uh, I had gone into college, you know, ready to take the bull by the horns, but I could not shake this overwhelming feeling of sadness that was over my life. And as I was there, I, I was trying to overcome it. I realized I was depressed. I went to the counselor. I had read every book I could on depression. I talked to all the friends I knew who experienced depression. I even went on medication. I was doing all these things, working so hard to overcome this depression, and it just got worse. 
And in those days, I remember crying out to God in desperation in ways I had never cried out to Him before. And I asked for Him to rescue me. And through the loving help of friends, through counselors, through various means, God rescued me out of that depression. I was, I was as depressed as they get, they told me. And I've never had to walk that road again. And so when I look at that picture, I remember God rescued me. And if He rescued me out of what was so terrible, that means He can rescue anybody. And I remember, I, remo- I memorialize it because He did. He did. It was real. I was severely depressed, and I am no longer severely depressed. It was real. We need memorials like that, and that's why the Israelites set up a memorial. Take a look at this next verse. The Lord said to Joshua, command the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant law to come up out of the Jordan. So Joshua commanded them to come up out. So as they came out off the Jordan, carrying the Ark, and then... And the priests came out of the river, carrying the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. No sooner had they set their feet on the dry ground than the waters of the Jordan returned to their place and ran at flood stage as before. Wow. And then Joshua said to those guys, hey, let's get those stones and set them up as our memorial. And then when they had the stones set up, Joshua said, I got a speech. I want to make a speech. So here's what he said. He said to the Israelites, in the future, when your descendants ask their parents, what do these stones mean? Tell them, Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground, for the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you until you had crossed over. The Lord your God did to the Jordan what he had done to the Red Sea when he dried it up before us until we had crossed over. He did this so that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and so that you might always fear the Lord your God. Now get this, this is what happened next. Now when all the Amorite kings, those are the kings that lived in the promised land that they're heading into, they're going to take over. When all those Amorite kings west of the Jordan and all the Canaanite kings along the coast heard how the Lord had dried up the Jordan before the Israelites until they had crossed over, their hearts melted in fear and they no longer had the courage to face the Israelites. And the, and the Israelites and Joshua saw God had moved one mountain, but He was moving other mountains too at the same time. And they were so glad that they decided to cross then rather than wait. And that is why we should always trust and obey God. Let's, let's have that. Let, would you say this with me? Always trust and obey God. See, God had a plan. Forty years ago, He told the Israelites, we're going to drive out the nations that are in the promised land using fear and terror. Now, at the time, they thought, fear and terror? You're going to get people to leave just by being afraid? How does that even work? But now they could see God's plan. You see, when the Jordan River was parted, God was using that miracle to validate the claims that He had parted the Red Sea and drowned Pharaoh's army. You see, in the, in the promised land, all those kings, they all knew that that had happened. The largest army in the world supposedly had been drowned in the Red Sea because the God of the Israelites was fighting for them. And, and people heard about this. People, people ran and told others. Everybody in the then known world knew that this had happened. But you see, the thing was, it was all just rumors until... You can imagine those kings on the other side, they know the Israelites are coming. they got scouts watching what the Israelites are doing. It was all just rumors until those scouts saw with their own eyes 
the waters part, and the Israelites came through. And then there was no doubt at all, yes, indeed, the Israelites have a God who is fighting for them, and we better run. God had done something incredible. Good thing they obeyed. Good thing they didn't wait till the waters went down. Can you imagine they wait till it's about three feet tall and God parts three feet of water? (laughs) That's that's not going to prove anything. Good thing they went when He said they should go. When we are walking unto uncertainty, we should always follow God. And that's what the Israelites literally did. Take a look at this verse. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, your God, and the Levitical priest carrying it, that's the visible presence, visible representation of the presence of God, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Why follow it? Then you will know which way to go since you have never been this way before. You've never been this way before. Let God tell you where to go. You've never had an argument before that didn't involve yelling. Let God tell you where to go. You've never been to a small group before. Let God tell you where to go. You've never mentored an at-risk youth. Let God tell you where to go. You've never had had boundaries in your relationship and, and set them in healthy ways. Let God tell you where to go. You've never worked a different job. You've never been to a counselor. You've never cut spending. Let God tell you where to go. He will. Uncertainty is a part of life. If we freeze up and we avoid uncertainty, we think we're playing it safe, but we're not playing it safe because what ends up happening is we miss out on incredible opportunities that God may have put into our lives if we had just taken 